The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. Rodrigo. And I'm Stephen, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, new days in Metropolis, new worlds for Peter Parker, new recipes, several miles below the earth, just don't pick up a duck in a dungeon. The major spoilers team bands together from distant galaxies to suss out the newest in pop culture, comic books, anything else that strikes our fancy and reminds you of things you already knew but forgot to laugh at the first time. Plus, Tintin is here and nobody done stuck knives in his organs in alphabetical order. So sit back, pour a glass of your favorite beverage, and turn on the playlist, because the Major Spoilers podcast is on the air. Welcome to issue 1058 of the Major Spoilers podcast. Thank you for downloading and checking us out this week. Hey, you might want to stick around because uh, you may want to pick up a duck in the dungeon. In fact, let's just let's just knock this out of the park right now, Rodrigo. You watched Delicious in is it Delicious in Dungeon or Delicious in the Dungeon over on the Netflix? In Dungeon. Yep, it's a new animated series. Well, it's a animated series that's new to Netflix. Uh, No, it's a it's a new animated series. The man the manga just finished recently, um, and I believe it's coming out pretty much simultaneously in Japan and in the United States through Netflix. Cool. Cool, cool. This is also what they did with um, ZOM 100, which I mentioned uh, on our and top I, five things. And of I the did year. watch that. I did watch that. And oh, yeah, let me let me take a break real quick, because we did talk about that on the top five. Mm-hmm. Um, I sit down and I start watching it. The youngest comes out and he's like, oh, you're watching ZOM 100. I'm like, yeah, have you watched it? He's like, yeah, I've watched a couple of episodes. It's mid. And I'm like, OK. And I was like, do you want to just finish watching the entire series with me? He's like, no, that's all right. And he wanders off. Then the next night I'm watching, I'm up to episode two or three. The boy comes out, who's, again, 17 years old now. He's like, oh, Zom 100. I'm like, yeah. Uh, Have you watched it? He's like, yeah, I watched the whole thing. It's great. And then he was like, proceeded to tell me about all these uh, life lessons that you can learn from it. So uh, uh, both of the boys knew all about it and watched the stuff before I even got around to it or before uh, you even talked about it on top five, Rodrigo. So, oh, sure. Yeah. 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 Anyway, I, back like, to I, Delicious in the Dungeon. Okay. No, no sorry, if you want to continue. Yeah, delicious in Dungeon, I, I, yes. I don't know why it's called Delicious Delicious in Dungeon. My Because the, the, the comic is called, like, Dungeon Meshi. Mm. And so it's like a lot of the time when you have something like Attack on Titan, is like, that is a kind of a nonsensical phrase. But... Mm. Japanese people came up with it in English, and so that's what they're calling it, right? But Delicious in Dungeon, which is kind of an awkward phrase, was presumably come up with by a translation team, so I don't know. I guess they wanted it to sound, kind of have that like translation awkwardness to it. Anyway, uh, Delicious in Dungeon is... Uh, so I'm, I've just watched the first episode. That's the only one that's out. Um, it is the story of a bunch of Dungeons and Dragons style adventurers. There are elves and there are halfling type people and there are humans and there are dwarves. And basically there's this big dungeon underneath a town and people go in there and there's treasure 
and monsters and people get killed and stuff. So so really, it's a lot more like, say, a Diablo um, or something like Torchlight, where uh, you have that sort of like central dungeon that you kind of spiral downward in uh, and try to get farther and farther each time. But the sort of central conceit of this is that um, since the monsters in the dungeon are basically just monstrous animals and plants, uh, a lot of them are edible. And so this group of adventurers that basically got their stuff wrecked um, and had to teleport mm-hmm. out of the dungeon now need to go back into the dungeon to save one of their party who got left behind um and but they can't afford it they lost all their gear and they don't have any money so in order to survive they're gonna have to eat what they kill on their way into the dungeon um so uh they are sort of joined by a a a new character that wasn't originally part of their party who is a uh who has some experience eating monsters and a significant amount, like a significant amount of the show is the preparation and and consumption of, of monsters made into food. And it is weird. Um, a lot of people uh, talk about the food in anime. Um, obviously, Studio Ghibli food is something that a lot of people are familiar with. And, you know, you look you look at that and it's like, you know, this like food doesn't look that good in real life, right? Um, I remember uh, watching uh, some scenes in like Madoka Magica where there were like a bunch of like cakes just mm-hmm. like on a table and just being like, wow, that looks really good. And so this is interesting because this is all made up food, uh, but it still has that sort of real world like visual texture to it. Um, like, for example, early on, they kill and eat a giant scorpion. And, you know, the way that in which they prepare it is a lot like you would prepare some sort of aquatic arthropod, right? Like a lobster or a crab. So the recipe sort of makes sense to us as well as make internal sense. Yeah. Um, the The visuals are really fun. They're very cute. Uh, you know, for me, it takes a lot. For me to check out something that is like standard medieval fantasy, um, but um, uh, this was like cute enough and like interesting enough to to actually uh, get my attention. So I'm going to get three and a half slices of meatloaf on um, on this first episode, uh, but we'll see where it goes from there. Yeah, I also watched this after I saw somebody who I follow on Twitter. Uh, say, oh, I just watched Delicious in Dungeon and it has totally changed my life. Where has this show been my entire life? And I'm like, well, crap. If this person is raving about Delicious in Dungeon and Rodrigo was raving about Psalm 100, maybe I had to sit down and check out this Delicious in Dungeon. I think I had, this is one of the nights I was watching uh, one of the Lord of the Rings movies and I had a surprisingly an extra 30 minutes before I was headed off to bed. And I was like, man, I'll just check out this thing. I don't, I don't know what this I don't know what this show is, Rodrigo. It's like no, I went into it, it expecting I went into it expecting, oh, we're gonna go rescue our friends and it's gonna be a traditional, you know, high fantasy yeah. anime, and then all of a sudden it just turns into uh uh food warrior. And I'm just like, oh, oh, okay. Yeah, it's 
it is it's weird the the um what the structure of it is weird and if you look at the episode titles and if you look at the manga and you look at the volume or the yeah and the individual book titles um most of them are named after food and it's the food that they are going to prepare and eat in Mm -hmm. that so it's it is weird it's almost like it it feels a lot of time like the point of the episode is the food. Yeah. Like again, the like slaughtering, preparing and consuming of, you know, monster animals and plants. Um, and like the rest of the story is sort of happening like as bookends to that. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. It's an interesting way to go about it. I, Mm -hmm. you know, Three and a half slices of meatloaf I gave it is not low, but it's also not super high because I feel that. I feel like, is is this premise going to be able to hold my interest um, as we go forward? So we'll see. Are you going to watch episode two? Yeah, definitely. Okay, then it's held your interest. And at this point, ladies and gentlemen, we now cut to a 30-minute discussion on what monsters Rodrigo killed to make these uh, delicious meatloafs that he's using in his ratings. (laughs) First, we must go and find the slime mold and uh, and use its innards to create a glass like a noodle or whatever the broth or whatever that they make in it. Uh, here's the yeah. thing. And I'm so glad to find out um, after I watched the episode that, yeah, that there's a manga on this. There is a vitriol discussion going on on social medias where people are trying to say certain properties are not for girls or certain properties are only for these groups of peoples and not these groups of peoples. Man, manga and anime got it figured out, right? They're like, oh, man, what if we did a uh, manga all about volleyball players? And then it's like a huge success and spins off several other mangas about volleyball or baseball or basketball or, you know, badminton or whatever it is. And then we get stuff about, oh, food. And, you know, and they're willing to just say manga and anime is for whoever wants it. And if you're into food anime then we got a cartoon show for you. Come and watch Delicious in Dungeon. And I really appreciate that the culture is I mean, to the point where it's like, yeah, it's it's for everybody. It's, it, we're not going to gatekeep this this stuff. So come and get it, people. And if it works, it I works. And it, if it doesn't, it doesn't. Yeah, I think it's true that the more out there and sort of interesting concept um manga and anime is like more universal mm-hmm. but i japan is pretty well segregated between boys and girls as far oh, as sure. uh, manga and anime goes so i mean definitely there's some standouts that that break that mold and thus like become interesting to both and get you know the money from both boys and girls but i you know I mean, I don't know much about anime, but I do know that, like, there's a lot of boy anime, there's a lot of girl anime, there's a lot of issues with anime aimed at adults and sort of what exactly depictions of certain people are in them. So it's not like it's, like, devoid of... Oh, no, I didn't say it was devoid of of controversy, but what I'm getting at is they're like, we're not going to limit our creation just because this has been deemed only for this group of people. Right. So here in America right now, it's like Star Wars was meant for boys, not for girls. Get out, girls. And there's this whole thing about, no, Star Wars is for everybody. What are you what are you gatekeepers doing here? 
uh, trying to ruin this. And so that's what, that's what I feel like when I watch delicious in dungeon, it's like somebody said, what if we wrapped, uh, this high fantasy tale around cooking food about things we found in the dungeon and people with somebody probably said, who's going to buy that? We're like, we don't know, but we're going to make it and the audience will come and find it and they will eat it up pun intended. And that's, that's kind of what happens here, uh, is that the audience has found it. And they're not just saying, oh, this is only for this group of people or that group of people. They're like, we're going to make everything everywhere. And if you want it, come and get it. Yeah, the the system that goes from comics to TV shows in Japan is very different. It, like that, it basically doesn't exist in the United States, right? United States stuff is all about properties. So Marvel is trying to maintain their property, properties. DC is trying to maintain like the cachet of their properties. Whereas I feel like a lot of stuff in Japan is like, hey, uh, mangaka, are you uh, able to work horrible hours and <laughs> destroy your hand writing and drawing an anime about whatever weird stuff you can come up with? Yes. Okay. We'll print it. And if it makes money, then we'll make a an anime out of it. And, you know, it's like, it's basically, it's like, what if like the most powerful driving force were like, Image Comics, Dark Horse, yeah. you know, the, yeah. the, the, the ones that are like, okay, weird creators, here's a space for you to do your thing. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, so Ed Brubaker, we didn't, we don't, uh, not, we're going to avoid, avoid a lot of the newsy stuff, but Ed Brubaker announced uh, yesterday that his criminal series is now, uh, his comic book series has been picked up to be developed for a television series. So criminal is not your typical comic yeah. book fair quote unquote uh it's not capes and tights it's it's criminals and bad guys doing bad things and it's over at image comics and it's being turned into a tv show so yeah imagine if image and dark horse were the ones that were out there driving a lot of what we're what we're seeing yeah. instead of just regurgitating the same old same old oh matthew hi <laughs> let's you we haven't heard from you in a while how about we talk oh ultimate spider-man huh ultimate spider-man Weird. Yeah, we were just okay. talking about regurgitating old stuff. Let's see how this turns uh, out. It's the year 2000, Stephen. Okay. Uh, you're, you're 30 and, and hip, and we have no children. And we're all like, oh, yeah, that Ricky Martin. Uh, da, 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 da. No, that's not true. None of that is true. We were never hip. But here's the deal. Jonathan Hickman. You remember Hickman? He's the one I do. who did I do like Jonathan Hawk. Hickman. Yeah, yeah, completely relaunched the X-Men before that, did a long run that kind of redefined chunks of Avengers. Jonathan Hickman's newest joint at Marvel is a revamped Marvel Universe. And if you hadn't paid attention, here's the pitch. On an alternate world that is not the same alternate world, the the original alternate universe is Earth-1610. 1610 is not the world we are on now. This is a different world Earth 6160, I think. But 20 years ago, in the year 2000, in the year two, sorry, in the year 2000 or thereabouts, the evil Reed Richards from the first Ultimate Universe went through time and prevented all the heroes of the Marvel Universe from ever having existed. So, The X-Men, your Spider-Mans, your Hulks, all of those guys, they're not around. There is no superhero presence currently in the Marvel Universe. 
And uh, Tony Stark is blamed for a giant terror attack that killed hundreds of thousands of people that was actually done by Evil Reed Richards, the maker. But it is now the year 2023, and so we pick up with a 36-year-old Peter Parker who was never bitten by a radioactive spider, but knows that something is wrong in his life. Peter is married to Mary Jane. Peter has two kids. He's a good dad. She has a business of her own. He's still working at the Daily Bugle. He still gets abuse from his editor. You know, his editor, Ben Parker. Yeah, curse that guy. Ah, darn No, seriously, he's working for Uncle Ben and Ben's managing editor, J. Jonah Jameson. And so at the Daily Bugle, we have some really interesting back and forth, some things happening that very clearly define the relationship between these three characters, Peter Parker, Uncle Ben, and J. Jonah Jameson. And it makes it clear that you're not dealing with your father's Marvel Universe or even your grandfather's Marvel Universe uh, if you're old like I am, but it is very interesting to see this story in action. The artist by Marco Cecchetto, and I know that name from somewhere, but I really love it because we have this bearded 36 year old Peter wearing his glasses, which I love. This is important. Peter had glasses before he was bitten. All of this stuff is taking place and it really does feel very much like an actual midlife crisis going on. And I I really appreciate that. We do see a couple of other important characters. We see uh, Harry Osborn, who lost his parents in the terror attack. We see uh, Father Murdoch, Father Matthew Murdoch. Uh, He's a nice Catholic priest. We see a lot of characters or, you know, the echoes of characters that we've seen before, including the owner of the Daily Bugle, uh, a Mr. Fisk, But when you get to the end of the issue, Peter is having a conversation with his wife. He's sitting with Mary Jane, and she's like, Peter, I know something's wrong. There's this cloud over you. And he's like, something's wrong in our life. I need a change. And they have this very adult conversation about how Peter is about to do Does he say, Mary Jane, I just need one more day? No, he does not, thankfully, because that's dumb. But... (laughs) He's like, I need a change. And she's like, okay, does this change how you feel about me or what's going to happen with us? And she's like, okay. And he's, no, nothing will change how I feel about you. She's like, fine, you need to do what you need to do. And then we find out that he got a little box. And the little box has in it a little ball. And the little ball has a message from the future. And the message from the future says, you were supposed to have been bitten by a spider and been the world's greatest superhero. And if you want, you can have this back. So at the last page of the issue, we have Peter trying to make the decision, do you open Pandora's box or do you not? Now, the book is called Ultimate Spider-Man. It's not called Ultimate Middle-Aged Peter Parker and Family. So I think you kind of know where this is going. But also, that's not the point of it. The point of it is how you get there. And one thing that I love about Hickman, even if sometimes his high concepts feel like they're a little too high, if you're picking up what I'm putting down, there's always something that feels like an emotional center to it, even if that emotional center turns out to be that your ex-girlfriend is a time-traveling murderer who keeps being reborn and is now on her 10th life. 
whatever that stuff is. I really like this, and I did not want to like this. Um, and I don't mean that the way that sounds. I did not say, I'm going to dislike this new Ultimate Universe because I was not a fan of the old universe. I kind of come into every new iteration of a character with that hesitation of, this is another relaunch, this is another revamp, this is another new take, and... You know, I'm six iterations deep on the Legion of Superheroes. I don't necessarily have the bandwidth to kind of memorize a new Spider-Man universe. And I feel like I'm now going to have to because this book is quite good. Chichetto is a really good artist. Yeah, Hickman he, has um, a beautiful he, moment. The things you might have yeah. seen him on, he was doing the Daredevil series uh, recently for Marvel. Really? I yeah. feel like I just recently reviewed something that Chichetto drew, and it may have been something related to Moon Knight, maybe. I don't know. Nonetheless, four slices of meatloaf for Ultimate Spider-Man number one. Did not expect to like it. Really liked it. And now I may have to backtrack and see, you know, what the foundations of this Ultimate Universe yeah, are. Yeah, so let me ask whether you. it annoys me. Do you think do you think you need to read Ultimate Invasion and then Ultimate Universe, which are the two titles that came out in 2023 that kind of mm-hmm. led up to this whole thing? Do you think you need to understand what's going on in those two series before you jump into Ultimate Spider-Man number one? I don't think you need to know that to jump into Ultimate Spider-Man. If all you're interested in is I want to read about this new cool Spider-Man. I think you're good. I think you can just pick this up cold. It gives you all of the information you need to know. Most importantly, it also, again, emotionally grounds this this big disastrous moment that we don't necessarily know about. The one thing we do know about it is that it killed May Parker. So that is like the emotional center of the relationship between Peter and Ben 20 years down the line. So whatever we needed to know about that, whatever Tony Stark did, whatever may or may not have happened here, the only thing that matters is that it took away Ben's wife and completely changed what you expect of a Spider-Man story. So I don't feel like you need to. I'm probably gonna because, you know, so I, I guess the, I, I have so many, I have so many questions about this because first of all, it's got the, the, what is it called? The maker or the master or whatever Reed Richards maker, was calling yeah. him. The maker. Evil Reed Richards. Yeah. Which was from the original ultimate universe from, from right. the 2000s. But he's gone back and, and through various world crisis ending events. I guess we can't say crisis over at Marvel. Uh, we no. had that uh, thing a couple of years ago where both universes were collapsing in on themselves. And that's how Miles Morales ended up here in the 616. Right. That was during Secret Wars or yeah, yeah the second. Yeah. And so we get to this and it's not, it's a continue. It feels like it is a reboot of the ultimate universe line, but it's not the ultimate universe because it's not, it's not the same. I just wonder if this is the right, I mean, calling it the ultimate universe or ultimate Spider-Man. Is that the right choice? If it's a completely different thing, if it just has a tangential tie to the maker and the original ultimate universe. I feel like, um, 
to a certain degree, that ship has sailed at Marvel. Marvel oh, well, is well, yes, obviously. To, Marvel is going to reuse these names, and they're going to do it incessantly, and that's simply because they have so much intellectual property. If it's, I mean, I don't necessarily think it's a bad idea because the feeling that I have when I'm like, okay, here's the ultimate universe. This is something that is designed to be a modern reworking of what has come before. So whatever that was in 2000 was, you know, Bendis and and Bags. And this is now another ultimate take and it's really ultimatizing both universes into something entirely different in a little way. So I, I guess calling it I was the a- ultimate universe, I feel like that that's good branding. I feel like it does muddy the waters, but I mean, we have four Spider-Man active right now and two daredevils and three calling birds and a partridge in a pear tree. So I guess from, from my feel- standpoint, if go ahead, Rodrigo, how, how do you feel about Spider-Man's costume in this? I mean, we've seen that in covers and stuff, even if it hasn't mm-hmm. showed up. I mean, the only it's like narrow it the very last panel, right? I think, right? Yeah, he only appears in costume in the very last panel, and it is very dark. I I feel like the the original Spider Man costume, and I, it, honestly, the version that I think is the the greatest is that Romita version from about 1967, 68, is one of the perfect costumes in comics. So if you futz with that in any way. I'm always a little bit like, so are you, I don't are you asking, like are you asking Rodrigo because the previous ultimate Spider-Man had those giant bagly eyes? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I look it up ultimate Spider-Man 2024. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, he's pretty, he's pretty squinty Spider-Man. So yeah. there's that. And I don't know what the, there's one here that really looks like the Scarlet spider costume. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if that's like the official costume too, or instead. I can't actually tell. Yeah, I guess it hasn't come out yet. So yeah. Yeah. So my expectation is that the Spider-Man suit goes through a lot of changes, and a lot of those changes, you know, are, they're just kind of like surface level things, so that they can, you know, have a new version to have in the new game, but. I also feel like if we could get through that point where it had a glowing green spider on the chest for some reason, I think we can get through this. From what I can see, it looks like the covers for issue two and three have a very traditional spider costume, but it also feels like they're keeping a 36-year-old married Peter Parker. And so, honestly as someone who was really happy about the wedding back in 87 and was really mad about, you know, the wedding being retconned, I'm really sort of fine with a grown-up adult married Peter Parker with a beard. So I don't know. We'll have to see how it all comes together. Now, I will say this. If he's wearing the black costume, I'm out. I don't don't think he is. I think he's going to be wearing a... I think he's going to be wearing a traditional red costume. We've seen it on the covers for at least two or three issues uh you'd have to look at the most recent solicitations at major spoilers i guess my whole thing with Mm -hmm. calling it the ultimate spider-man is yes you're right it does have brand recognition but i did see several people today on twitter super excited about ultimate peter parker being back without realizing Mm -hmm. that this Mm -hmm. isn't ultimate peter parker and so yeah that guy's dead yeah that guy's dead and and i guess if i were in the room when this was being advocated i'd first say Brilliant idea. We need more stories in the multiverse. 
second right. thing I would say is make sure you put a sticker on the cover so you know which multiverse we're in. Third thing I would have said, third thing I would have said is calling it the ultimate universe, I think creates brand confusion. And I've seen mm -hmm. that today on Twitter when so many people were excited about picking up ultimate Spider-Man number one is that a lot of them are thinking that this is the Spider-Man that they grew up with and it ain't unless it is. You know what? I mean, who knows? You know what, what Marvel should really do is to get that, that recognition, but also to set things apart is they should like just change a letter or like add a letter. Yeah. So they should be, they could do like infinity warp. Or like they did uh, that actually. Oh, they did that. Ah, oh, yeah. See, they're, yeah, the, they're just the they're Infinity just Warps were the ones from uh, where they combined characters. So Spider Man oh, combined with Moon Knight and became the right. Black Knight. Well, they can do Civil Warp. There you uh, go. And uh, they can do Cultimate Spider Man, and it's about Spider Man starts a cult. <laughs> right. Uh, they It'll did the do one thing. Stage. So one thing that they did do is that Marvel Ultimate, the logo that they had across all the Ultimate stuff. Uh, the word ultimate was in this chrome kind of uh, car emblem design that they had for it, right? So you would see Marvel exactly. Ultimate Spider-Man. And so you would see, it was, I mean, for 2000, that was probably right on brand for a 2000 logo. The logo that they're using now is the ultimate is a U, and then in the dip of the U, that's where they're putting the Spider-Man logo, or that's where they're putting the star for the Avengers logo. Um, oh, okay. I don't, I don't know if there have been other ultimate comics announced, but I'm going to guess that that's Panther. Yeah. Ultimate Black I, Panther, but it has the Panther face in the U. Yeah. So I think that that's probably the branding that they're going to go with is this, this red U, which I'm fine with, but I still, I mean, well, and I'm going to, I'm going to read this, but I'm going in somewhat confused because it's like, Hey, wait a minute. Do I need, I guess I do need to go like you, Matthew, go and, and look at ultimate universe and ultimate invasion. And see if those clear up some things for me. You see the the here's the thing about this that's interesting is that um, ultimate the original ultimate universe was a way to say like hey kids you know how those old fogies tell you that you need to read sixty thousand mm -hmm. pages of Spider Man before you get this you don't have mm -hmm. to anymore here's a new Spider Man like mm -hmm. this ultimate Spider Man feels like the opposite of that is like hey old fogies are you tired of like how Peter Parker's always this like stupid kid. Here's like a married guy with like a mortgage. Right. And to some degree, yeah. you know, it, it's not wrong. Yeah. Well, so, uh, okay. So in that case, then this isn't an ultimate comics. This is a, what if story. Ultimate comics was always a, what if story. Sure. It's an yeah, alternate. Universe. I mean, if you're, if you're, you know, if you want to, if you want to rebrand it that way, uh, but it, it but know, this is like, like yeah, I don't know. I don't. I, yeah, go ahead, Rodrigo. We we are living through the like <laughs> datification yeah. of of media. So, um, you know, Kratos from God of War, big jerk, running around, uh, having sexy times with goddesses and smashing giants in the face. I eventually like has a kid, and he's like, well, I guess. I only have to smash giants in the face in service of my family or something like that. Spider-Man, right, gets a whole new universe where he gets to be a dad. Doctor Who, like, the doctor just went through this. They were like, let's have one doctor who, like, can sit around and, like, talk to, like, his niece 
mm-hmm. not his actual niece, but you know, a niece type character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And just be like, hey, what's up? I'm I'm the doctor. I'm tired of traveling around. I've been through a lot. I have a little bit of PTSD. Um, so it's yeah. like, yeah, it's like we <laughs> it's like we've all lived with these characters and like we're tired. And we're like, can you just have these characters slow down a bit and be dads? Yeah, just take a nap. Yeah, well, I wonder. I wonder if nap. if uh, if Peter Parker from the Into the Spider Verse didn't play a part in that, right? Sure, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we've yeah, seen I, Peter Parker with a kid before, but uh, Mayday was very much different than the character of Peter Parker and uh, May Parker that we see in the oh, sure. uh, animated yeah. movies. And so it uh, maybe more people are latching on to because I know after the into the spider verse uh, movie came out, a lot of people were like, I kind of dig on dad, dad, Spider-Man. Yeah. Well, spider dad is, is a valid take just like any other, but I also feel like the, the point that Rodrigo makes is a good one because in a lot of ways we are in an era where people are trying to embrace the crazy, the deep, the, oh, yeah, the multiverse is not just back. It's bigger than it ever was. And, oh, the Marvel Universe now encompasses everything you ever heard of. So if you're like, hey, that weird Spider-Man that nobody's ever heard of from Japan, yes, they have. He's on Earth 11781. So everything is now canon because everything is a commodity and everything is part of the IP. And so I'm sort of down with there being an ultimate Spider-Man who is this older character. And then they can still have their young Peter Parker who has to be able to date girls named Carly and whatever he does in the mainstream Marvel universe. But I also feel like 15 year old Peter who, you know, dates Kitty pride and lives in the weird universe from the original ultimate universe is just as valid a take. It's just oh, that. Sure, sure. sure. Well, that and was so the that other was a classic what F too, because everybody died screaming. But the, so the, the other thing that is interesting about the Ultimate Universe, as Rodrigo said, is it was supposed to introduce a new generation of kids to all of these stories. And that's what Bendis tried to do uh, with his compression decompression is take a lot of the classic Spider-Man tales and put them in into the Ultimate uh, Spider-Man so that the new generation could appreciate those same stories and understand the same beats without it necessarily having to go back through the through the bin or going back through old trades or whatever to read those stories. I wonder then if this is going to do the same thing, if we're going to get a retread of the classic Spider-Man stories, but instead of a teenage Peter Parker, we're now middle-aged dad, Peter Parker doing those exact same stories. What do you, what do you think on that, Matthew? Is that what we're going to see? Or are we going to see something completely different? I don't know. Um, I like the idea of this being a version of that Parker and that being this Mary Jane and this being something that, everything that we would have or might have seen in that original ultimate universe is still now here just Mm -hmm. in a different sort of way. But the ultimate universe had a lot of huge missteps that I think you need to avoid. You need to avoid everything they did with Dr. Strange. They need to avoid everything they did with the black widow. Most of what happened with the ultimates, I feel like needs to be jettisoned and jettisoned hard. So it really is going to be a question of to some degree, uh, what, works what still works and what hickman is willing to play with so i mean he's willing to go in a lot of directions i mean we saw what he ha- did with the whole uh krakoa and the plant people uh x-men where you're mm-hmm. just re- rebirthed into it into a pod uh so yeah I'm, I'm gonna i'm down to this i forgot that this came i mean i knew it came out this week but i forgot that it was out out because uh 
I'm down for reading this. So here's something that I think a lot of people might also be down for reading is Action Comics 1061. It's out this week from DC Comics. Jason Aaron and John Timms uh, are the creators of this issue. Uh, a new story arc begins, so maybe it's a good jumping on point. Uh, this issue features Bizarro. Yeah, everybody's favorite, Bizarro. So this is something that I don't know if this story has ever been done before, but it is something that as soon as the premise popped up, I was like, oh, duh, this makes perfect sense. Why has this not been done before? And maybe it has, and I just haven't read every single Superman tale that's out there. But what is one thing that, well, what's one thing that we know, Rodrigo, that Superman uh, is... uh, uh, powerless against uh, kryptonite. Okay, that's one. Matthew, what's another thing that Superman is powerless against or weak? Magic, against, I guess. Magic, right? So, is Bizarro also weak to magic? No, or is Bizarro he strong? Bizarro am am strong to magic, and if you try <laughs> to attack Bizarro with magic. It doesn't hurt him. It only makes him stronger and makes him magically powered. And it's like, as far as I know, Matthew, that concept of, well, if Superman is weak to magic, shouldn't Bizarro be strong to magic or be uh, able to wield magic? I don't think that story's ever been done before. So from that standpoint alone, from that standpoint alone, that makes a fantastic twist on this tale. Now, if you know what's going on in the greater DC universe of comics, great. Congratulations. You are a super genius. Yeah. It says so right there on your business card. Um, oh, wait, sorry. That movie got shelved. Um, in this instance, Bizarro World is gone. Even in the encyclopedia that uh, that Barry is is doing, creating, to show all the changes since the last crisis or whatever. They cannot find Bizarro World. It doesn't exist. And unfortunately, that means that Bizarro am no have home. Or I guess he does have a home if you're using Bizarro speak. Right. And so he is traveling around the universe trying to find his home. And he is getting happier and happier and happier that he does not have a home with his own Lois and with his own boy Zaro, he is, he am so happy that that world exists until he falls onto Jim world or the universe that contains Jim world. Um, and all of the high magicians are like, who is this bizarro character that's destroying everything? Let's just zap the crap out of him and be done with him. And they do. And bizarro am, Ha, uh, I, I am so sad that you are going to live happy ever after and destroys. He doesn't destroy Jim world, but he destroys the magic planet. But in the process, he absorbs all this magic becomes a little bit more sane and makes his way to earth where Superman is like, Hey, Bizarro, you and I are friends. Remember? And how we help boy Zaro and everything. I hope everything's okay. Maybe we can work this out. Why are you? waving your hands? Why are you using these weird symbols? Why are the clouds turning black? And of course that leads into a giant fight. And of course, Bizarro is now because he's magic powered much more powerful than Superman. In fact, with one SWAT, he whacks Superman from the earth to Venus in a millisecond. 
he he and and uh, Superman have a fight across the solar system that happens in the span of six panels, presumably within the span of a couple of of minutes. And then Superman figures out, oh, okay, so Bizarro is really sad because he can't find his planet. We can help him out. Uh, He's trying to open a portal. That's not a good idea. And Bizarro gets sucked in. End of story. And throughout this entire issue, I'm like, Jason Aaron, I am totally buying what you are selling for this arc. This is brilliant. I am. I feel so much empathy for Bizarro because of the plight that he's going for, where he is literally the last son of Bizarro world. And he can't go back and he's missing his loved ones and he's getting angrier and angrier because of what's happened. And he's just trying to lash out and figure out some plan. And then you figure out what his plan is. And that's to turn Earth into Bizarro World. And that's the part where I'm like, well, okay, that's our that has been a retreaded story. Um, And so that is that's the very last bit that I don't know what's going to go on in this next arc. But the setup was brilliant. Uh, for this piece and the art by John Timms is really, really good. I think Jason Aaron, I, I know he's done some DC stuff before, but I guess I mostly know him from Marvel stuff. And so to see him over here in DC world doing stuff is really refreshing. And it feels like a different take on a story. Again, what would happen if Bizarro was exposed to magic? That's a brilliant take. And, um, I, I just don't know what the next part of the story is because we've seen, Lois turn into a bizarro. We've seen Jimmy turn into a bizarro or we've seen bizarro versions of that. Um, and so I, I feel like, uh Oh, you set me up and now you're, you've fallen back onto an old kind of trope. And I don't know how that's going to work, but this is definitely a four and a half slices of meatloaf out of five comic book. It was very much enjoyable. I enjoyed this more than I probably should have. And, Mm -hmm. There's one bit that I was really impressed on. Uh, and maybe it's because I've also been watching. Um, what's the Godzilla TV show on Apple Plus with Kurt Russell? Monster University, not Monster Monarch. University. Monarch. Monarch. Yeah. And so uh, in the first episode, you know, the girl goes to Japan to find her dad or, you know, take care of his uh, belongings. And, you know, there's all these Godzilla alerts. So if Godzilla's in the area, they send off these alerts and everybody goes to the subway shelters or wherever it is. Uh, just like if there was an earthquake or a hurricane or something like that. In Metropolis, they have the exact same thing now, where when Superman is getting into a fight with something big bad, they send out an alert that reads, Alert, a potentially destructive Superman event has been observed in your area. Take shelter immediately while avoiding upper floors of tall buildings. Be on the lookout for falling debris. Mm. And I was like, wow, that one little word bubble in the whole issue. And then the uh, is just another one of those things that makes you think, oh, here's somebody that, you know, even though he has been doing stuff for Marvel, really understands maybe some bigger issues and concerns when you're in the world of DC Comics, where you have these mighty gods punching each other through buildings with no disregard for the people on the street. How, how, why do people, you know, why do people live in Gotham if there's so much crime? Why do people live in Metropolis if every other day Superman's knocking down a big building because he's fighting Darkseid or somebody? Well, that alert, that little alert system explains it all. Why do people live in Japan if Godzilla's going to attack Tokyo all the time? They've got an alert system for that. Uh, and maybe I, we'll see some new revamped version of uh, which one's is Damage Control the DC one or the Marvel one? Marvel. That's a Marvel one. Okay, so like Pegasus, then, right? Something like that. Uh, there was like is the equivalent. There's like some DC. Yeah, 
I'm trying to think what the equivalent is in DC. Uh, I was going to say, uh, um, Amanda Waller's bit or checkmate, but those aren't, those aren't it. Yeah. That's what is more the, like what is the equivalent ops. of the, of, of that Matthew? I don't, I can't think right off the top of my head of anything that would be directly equivalent. I mean, I'm sure there, I'm sure there is. And I'm sure that will be the introduction of Maxwell Lord back into this universe. Or it can be like, uh, an early, early version of the science police. Oh, there science you go. Police. Would, no, wait, would star labs be that group? Yeah, probably. Yeah. They're, yeah, they are. Well, they're like containment, right? I guess that is. Yeah. Kind of what it does. Yeah. I don't know. I'd have to look. Maybe our listeners know. Uh, drop us an email, podcast at majorspoilers.com, or check out our Discord server. You can join the Discord server absolutely free. In fact, we're using our Discord right now to record this episode. And uh, listen, there are so many really awesome people over in our Discord. And one of the things that we do at the start of every year, it runs throughout the year, the more comments you make, the more ranks you receive in our discord server. It's kind of like, uh, when you are leveling up in an, an RPG game, the more you talk, the more you engage with other people, the higher your rank goes. And at the end of the year, whoever is ranked number one, gets some special privileges for the year on the major spoilers discord. Uh, so you might want to go and check that out. If nothing else, then to just drop in and say hello and uh, write a couple of messages to people. And you will soon be ranked higher than Matthew. Uh, on the major spoilers discord and you can everybody's ranked higher than Matthew. I don't know. everybody is you can have a friendly competition with everybody going into 2024 it's completely free to join and we'd love to see your your glowing face or your glowing comments over there you we've got channels for all of the different shows that we do we've got channels for movies and comic books and video games uh people are in talking about the new uh mandalorian and grogu movie that's coming our way in yeah. the next year that should be interesting. Uh, we've got uh, stuff for reading. If you're into reading uh, prose books, uh, everybody is starting to share their lists for the year and their lists from the years before. Um, I shared my list last week and it was, I didn't have as many books that I read last year than I have in the past. Um, I read, I think that's, I think it was only like 25 books in 2023. Which I know sounds like a lot to some people, but the year that I read the most books was 72 books in a single year. Mm, um, that's a lot yeah. of books. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Are you, got, are you counting, uh, like, technical manuals and stuff like that? No, no, no. This like is just, novels? like, uh, some of them are, so, uh, technical manuals. So, it's not like a how-to, you know, like, here's how After Effects works, and here's a right. tutorial on After Effects. No, I'm not counting that. But I do have things okay. on there, like uh atomic habits is the first book that i've already read this year i oh, read it, okay. uh, finished it last week and i've now started on a samantha true book uh which is kind of like veronica mars if you're into that um so sure. if there's like some self-help books or uh one of the ones that i have on my list this year is um uh, like nonfiction history so you're gonna get into that i do have some nonfiction histories although surprisingly none of them are about rome uh <laughs> <laughs> Good. No, you're, yeah, no, that's good. <laughs> am I doing it right or am I doing yeah, it wrong? Yeah, no, that's good. You're not supposed to be obsessed with the Roman Empire. That's oh, what okay. That's what I'm right. getting at. That's what the meme was getting at. All right. Then I'm doing it right. I, I can tell you, um, I can tell you what some of the books are that I, that I have. Let me open sure. up this other app. <laughs> oh, wait. No, it's on, not on that one. It's on this one. Uh, I had to move everything to my phone because I kept buying books and buying books and then not reading them. All right. So here's what's mm -hmm. coming up. 
uh, I'm finishing up this new Samantha True novel. Uh, it's like the sixth book in the series, and it's basically Veronica Mars. Uh, then I'm reading sure. uh, the third book in real uh, in the Slow House or the Slow Horses book, uh, Real Tigers. Uh, there's a Bubba Hotep book that I want to read. Uh, then here's one that is kind of like Atomic Habits. It's called The Status Game. Uh, then I've got Nine Princes in Amber, uh, Symphony of Echoes, uh, Lords of Easy Money, One Shot Harry. Uh, then I've got a couple of Pete Fernandez books by um, uh, Alex Segura, who I've uh, kind of fallen off his Pete Fernandez stuff, so I need to catch back up on those. And then I'm going to jump back into the Fletch series of books. So those are just some of the books that I have on my list uh, for this year. And I'll share those over on our Discord server in the reading corner. Every time I finish a book, I'll share it. and. Uh, and talk a little bit about it. So go over there and read it. It's, it's complete. You could be talking to Steven about all these books guys. And, and there are people in there that are sharing their books and the books that they've read, uh, and, and what they've liked. And of course, some of our, some of our dear listeners have go, gone on to, um, write their own books. And in, in fact, a good friend of the, the show, Bill Schweigert, uh, he had his yeah. book come out last year and it was a, it was a great time. And, uh, it even features an appearance by a certain member of this very podcast. So uh, you can go and check that out. In fact, I think that me? Character, uh, you're going to have to read the book and find out. Uh, it's called The Guilty One by Bill Schweigert. Uh, and it's uh, it's a good book. I really enjoyed it. I kind of had the whodunit figured out when it happened. And I was just waiting to see if it if it worked. And it did. And so I think you will enjoy this thriller as well. It's The Guilty One by Bill Schweigert. He's a friend of the show. And if you want to support Bill and you want to support Major Spoilers at the same time, then you can go over to Majorspoilers.com. There's a link to our um, Amazon page. And if you go and click on that Amazon link and then you buy The Guilty One or you buy any of the comic books that we've talked about so far in this episode, Bill will get some money uh, if you buy his book. And then if you buy any of the uh, titles that we've talked about again this week, uh, Action Comics 1061, Ultimate Spider-Man number one. A little bit will come back our way as well. And that's a way that you can keep this show going far, 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 far into the future. So thank you, everybody, for that. Yeah. So uh, Discord server, it is great. It is great. And it is uh, fun. And I'm so glad that we have that have that going on. All right. Guess what week it is, everybody. You know what today is? It's what? The 9th? The 10th? It is January 9th. Uh, 10th by the time people are listening to this. It's Tintin's birthday, January 10th, 1929. Tintin or Tom. Yeah. Uh, ben 10's birthday is uh, January 10th, <laughs> 1929. It's like, uh, that's the, that's the crossover we need. Ben oh, 10, Tintin and Rin, and Rin, Rin Tintin. Oh, <laughs> so, uh, uh, Snowy is missing. And so Rin Tintin, Tintin and Ben 10 all have to team mm-hmm. up to find him. Ah, oh, that yep. would be a thing. There's a guy on Instagram. Ah, now I forget. Oh, let me see if I can find him really quick. He has been doing these, his takes on Tintin. Um, oh, and yeah. he's been doing them. Uh, Tintin meets like Indiana Jones. Uh, Tintin meets, uh, you know, all these, all these, uh, he did a Doctor Who one. He hasn't posted in like a week, maybe because he's been on holiday or something. But his stuff is really good. I would bet we could get him to come up with his own art based on that pitch of Tintin, Ben 10, finding Rin Tintin. Mm-hmm. Um, and he would, he would or probably make that up. I'll, I'll have to find, I'll have to find his, his stuff. Cause it is really good. Uh, anyway, we are, 
because it is Tin Tin's birthday, Tintin, time Tintin. to dive into another adventure with Tin Tin. And this is one that I was a little concerned about. We already yeah. uh, didn't do um, uh, Tin Tin in the Congo, right. but this time Tin Tin is uh, land of the black of black gold. He's going to the Middle East. And I will say, I think he did a, I think Herge, or Herge, Herge, I think he did a pretty good job of avoiding most of the problematic stuff, right? Yes, no? Uh, so, you know, Tintin goes to the Congo is just like to our modern sensibilities, just so like virulently offensive. Right. That the, you know, mild stereotypes of like, uh, you know, an, an Arabic Islamic uh, country that is has a, a bit of a civil war kind of going on don't seem nearly as egregious. There's definitely stuff here that is not great, but no, it's not as aggressively racist as, uh, you know, Tintin goes to the Congo. Yeah. Yeah. There, it, go ahead, Matthew. It it, it 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 is still a problem, though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean there there are definitely moments here. Uh, the one that I remember is when they're dragging Tintin by the feet, and then they dump him, and someone is screaming something about how oh, desert savages. No, no, you just no, you got to stop. I think it's actually the dog. Yes, Snowy is calling them various slurs. As they leave Tintin for dead oh, in the I mean, desert. And I'm like, I mean, oh, we talk about your white supremacist. Well, I mean, look at how Snowy's dressed. Yeah. <laughs> we made the same joke at the same time. I, I mean, uh, all he's yeah. missing is his pointing hat. So here's uh, a couple if, of things. If Snowy wasn't black sad, he would just fit right in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, here's a couple of things to take into context at the time. This is that this issue is going on. This is leading us into uh, the occupation of Belgium and France, the invasion by the Germans in World War II. And so there are, a, there's a lot of talk. Uh, of course, this came out, what does this say? 1950. So I wonder what, what they're talking about when, when they're talking about, uh, let's see. Yeah. The powers going to war or whatever. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. It was serialized from September, 1939 until the invasion of Belgium in May, 1940. And so right. there is a lot of scary war talk going on in this in this book like hey we may be invaded uh at any time and we you know our country could be invaded and how's that going to uh deal with uh, the oil that we need to fight back against these tor- horrible nazis and then if you know what's going on in the middle middle east uh with british occupation especially in egypt um there's this kind of weird split between the British saying, Hey, we're going to turn Egypt back over to the Prince. But then at the same time, Oh, these terrible Nazis are doing things. So we might as well stick around and quote unquote, help you out. And so there's that going on. And then if you've seen Lawrence of Arabia, where Lawrence is traveling to specifically this area of uh, Saudi Arabia and well, this is a fictionalized uh, country that he's going to, I'm pretty sure in this, in this volume. Um, Yeah. Lawrence is going to unite the tribes, the, the, the wandering, uh, Arab tribes to help fight against the, the upcoming menace and also to secure oil rights, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. So there's a lot of that historical stuff that when you know those things, it kind of makes some of the actions and some of the 
intrigue going on in this story a little bit more interesting, I think, or maybe mm -hmm. not. I, I don't know what you guys think about this. It definitely does color it. And, you know, it, it's one of those things that we talk about all the time in one of our other podcasts, the, the Legion Clubhouse, when we're looking at, you know, books from the 70s that are meant to be in the far future, but somehow end up feeling more retrograde than ever. I just feel like, boy, I don't know. Yes. I, I mean, this does take place in a made up country, but it was obviously not a made up country so much as just like they filed off the serial numbers and called it the Republic oh, sure. of Hashel Hashel. Yeah. And I'm just like, I don't know. And I feel like the, uh, the original version said Palestine. And so when you go back and you look wow. at this with that, in, yeah, with that in mind, you do have to kind of look at yourself and go, Hmm, boy. Oh yeah, um, any any comic or or any work that is coming out in the 1940s from Europe about the Middle East just yeah. is is going to be a like a bizarro world version of what actually went down, right? Um, but I I feel they try to keep that stuff very much at the surface level. You know, obviously, who's behind it? Who's who's the who's the real bad guy here? Is of course a Nazi, right? It's like a, this German yeah. guy who is like instigating all of these things. He kidnapped the Sheikh's son mm -hmm. and uh, he try, basically tries to kill Tintin sight on, like, uh, you know, on sight anytime he sees them. Uh, and uh, that's kind of what it ends up boiling down to, right? It's they're really, they don't get into politics or even culture too much there's like it's like i i feel like the thing that they get really into is how just brutally spoiled the prince is mm -hmm. and yeah. you could tell that you could tell that story in belgium right it's like yeah. uh you know spoiled like preteen royal doesn't understand what level of danger he's in you could you could write that anywhere um, and I feel like that ends up, you know, as the action unfolds and we finally, finally get away from, uh, what is it like, oh God, what's their name? Oh, Thompson and Thompson's Thompson and Thompson. antics <laughs> and actually get into the meat of the story. Um, I feel like that is, uh, I feel like that tends to be the crux is, you know, Tintin's chasing yeah. after a Nazi. Yes, he has Arab henchmen, but also he's doing it sort of on behalf of the local Arab powers anyway, who also has, you know, like there's like, you know, Arabic people on both sides. It's not like Europeans versus Arabs. It's not like, right. it's like very, I, I guess in a sense it is correct in that all of the stuff that's going on is Europe projecting its own problems onto other places. It's a very right. egalitarian racism. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, and I, and, and obviously we're not saying both side-isms in, in this case, but it does feel like Tintin has been thrown in the middle of a conflict he doesn't need to be in, and that's where we're seeing a right. lot of this stuff. And as you mentioned, Matthew, this uh, volume has gone through many revisions over the years to remove a yeah. lot of those uh, uh, oh. allegories or distinct uh, call-outs to certain things to tone it down a little bit. But mm -hmm. it, I think knowing what little I know about this area of the world during this time period makes it feel like, Hey, we're trying to portray this and Tintin's right in the middle of it. 
and that's how it is. And maybe yeah. that's not the, the, the case or what was intended or whatever, but that's kind of how I, how I read it, uh, in, in this case. It's, to some degree that does, you know, the smack of a little bit of the, you know, the white savior thing where Tintin is in the middle of this. He doesn't necessarily need to be, and he's trying to help these people. There's the sequence that threw me is the point where we see the little fighter plane fly over and drop down leaflets to try leaflets, and yeah. demoralize right, uh, sure. the Sheik's people. And he's like, ha ha, they don't realize none of my men can read. Ha ha. Yeah. And I'm just like, oof. And then we get to the end when the when the battle starts. There are several characters uh, wearing the kefayas, and one of them is drawn pitch black. Oh yeah, uh, yeah content the, warning: there is yeah. a black person in this, just and, like with oh, asterisk. Yeah, yeah, D- just a big, big, big. Er, er, er. But even you know, taking that into account, it's it's an 80 year old story, and I feel like. The basic, the bones of it are good. I feel like the, the the basis of this story, Tintin gets thrown into something he doesn't understand. There's a spoiled prince. There's all of these things that are happening. I like the concepts. I really like every single drawing of a car. Yeah, yeah they're really uh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, Ergay can draw the hell out of a car. There's one where I'm just like, is that a 53 Mercury? Holy moly. But... Not not nineteen thirty nine. It wouldn't be. Ah, oh, sure it is. But uh, you get you do get to a point where uh, sometimes a, a story can be good and also be dated in a way that is unpleasant enough that you don't want to keep going. I guess I guess I'm glad that we're reading the re, the revised revised edition because I think the one that we yeah, are reading yeah. here is the nineteen seventy one re re release. Yes where they attempted to do one more cleanup of a lot of the problematic stuff. But again, it's still yep. 1971. I, and, I bet uh, you they changed everything Haddock says. Like they just like changed <laughs> all of his, all of, all of Captain Haddock's dialogue just completely the, thrown out. If I understand correctly, most of what was between like page six and page 20 is new material <laughs> from the 1939 version. And I was wanting to see if I could dig them up and I can't, for the life of me, find the originals. They're probably like in Life magazine somewhere. So here's the thing that happens in this book. Very close to the end, uh, Thompson and Thompson come into contact with like a, a fantastic like mutagen a- agent that yeah. is kind of what the Nazi is trying to like transport out of out of the area. Um, and they like it like turns them different colors and they grow like huge green beards and like bubbles start coming out of their mouths and stuff. And I always like, as a kid, I would come across Tintin comics, but very often I would look through and I'd be like, there's nothing fantastical about this. Right. It's like when you have, when you're a kid and you have the pick of like old barbershop comics that you find around the place and there's like Tintin or Turok Mm -hmm. or like, uh, classics illustrated Greek mythology or Condorito, where uh, you know at least one person goes plop on the floor every uh, at the end of every panel. Mm-hmm. Um, then uh, you're not gonna go for Tintin. But I feel like if I had opened this and seen those like weird guys, I would have been like, I want to find out what happens to these weird guys. But it's like such a brief moment. Mm-hmm. Like it's 
it's just kind of nothing. It could have actually just not happened. It's just a continuation of like the slapstick that uh, Thompson and Thompson get off to. Yeah. I guess I'm glad Thompson and Thompson are here for that comedy relief, but man, I just got really tired of them really quick in this issue. They, the, this book in particular is very Thompson and Thompson heavy at the beginning. Like Mm -hmm, we are basically following them. Um, and there's a moment where, uh, Tintin, uh, talks to the, I don't know if the correct, if it was, if he is a shake, but, um, he talks to him and he's like, listen, uh, two of my friends are going to come here. Please treat them as guests, like treat them lavishly and absolutely do not let them leave your palace. Right. <laughs> and I think he's referring to Thompson and Thompson. Yeah. And I'm like, bless yeah. you, Tintin, please. <laughs> if we do not see Thompson and Thompson again, like I, I will be happy. Like even Snowy, I felt got off to like more hijinks than usual. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but, but even Snowy disappears for like a large portion of the issue. Yeah. Which is good. I don't like Snowy either. I know Snowy is a dog, but Snowy as a talking dog. No, Snowy as a talking dog makes no sense in the grand scheme of this. It does oh, everybody understand what Sony's No, no, they can't understand them. It's what just about Tintin. He, he does Tintin understand what Snowy says? Okay, no, so Brian and Stewie can talk to each other, but that's because Oh no, do not get into that. Okay. <laughs> well, let's let's look. Uh uh, Stewie has a weird shaped head with some little bit of hair. Tintin has a right. weird shaped head with little hair. Uh, uh, Brian's a white Brian dog. Brian is a white dog. Uh, Snowy, Snowy is a white, a white dog. dog. Yeah. Both shows. Brian's, uh, Brian's say some, <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> both both, uh, sh- both uh, Tintin and Family Guy uh, deal with uh, controversial topics and try to make yeah. light of uh, certain cultures and, and groups of people. Uh, yeah, yeah. Th- you're right, Matthew. Both. They're both Stewie and Tintin have come in contact with at least one death ray. That's true. <laughs> they've also, they've also both, both fought Hitler. Uh, yeah. If you look at Captain Haddock and you compare Captain Haddock to like, I don't know who's he. Let's, let's say Joe. Giggity, yeah, giggity. Joe, probably the closest <laughs> thing would be Joe. Yeah, definitely Joe. And of course the, the Thompson twins are clearly Bruce and uh, his, his fiance, Jeffrey. <laughs> oh no. You know, th- I, um, this so is getting back to getting back to this. Fit. Yeah. Getting back to this. Here's, here's three things that I did not care for in, in this book. Um, obviously I've already mentioned the Thompsons, Thompson and Thompson. The other thing that I didn't care for is the massive walls of text that I do not remember reading in other, other books. I mean, the first time that, uh, Tintin meets with the Amir or the Sheikh or whoever, uh, it's just wall of text, wall of text, wall of text. And then the whole second half of the issue, anytime people are having conversations, it's just like, you might have text, blocked it out. Text, Cause I, I do, I do feel like Tintin does get very wordy sometimes. Okay, and, Cause and this is, past. I, maybe I am. And it may be only because, and this is the other thing, maybe one of the things that I liked about this book that I haven't liked in the previous issues, um, like Asterix, when Tintin goes somewhere, there's a lot of time spent in the book that we read last year where it was South America. The, um, I forget what the name of it was. So much of it was, hey, let's look around this country and look at all the quirky things that, that this country has. This yeah. one didn't spend a whole lot of time doing that because it was trying yeah. to go for the adventure. Um, and so I kind of like that, that we're not just like, hey, let's look at the culture and make fun of it or whatever. 
but the wall of text just especially in the last three or four pages um just really turned me off on this book yeah i feel like tintin is in a lot of ways sort of a companion or predecessor to things like james bond and Mm -hmm. stuff Mm -hmm. like that and it's like when you have scenes in which like james bond and q are like talking about what's actually going on i don't know about you guys but like my eyes glaze over like yeah i get that it's like yeah it's not it's not and then you know james bond is all of a sudden he's in cairo and all of a sudden he's in saskatchewan and you know exotic places like that mississippi yeah exactly amc pacer exactly so it's like and tintin does plenty of that cool cars exotic locales and as soon as anybody starts talking, I check out completely. <laughs> the art, I, so I still, even though there's some problematic uh, representations of of different uh, skin colors, um, mm-hmm. I do like I do like this art style. There's something about it yeah. that's simple, yeah. plain, and easily recognizable, and and I like it. I agree. I, I feel like you know, and I did mention the cars, but also just the, the storytelling, the actual, the landscapes and the, the settings and all of the scenes really feel very grounded. It feels like Mm -hmm. we're watching an old school, not necessarily a movie, but definitely something like, you know, a television program where we have these settings and they're, you know, we're moving from place to place and Oh, here now we're in the desert. So we're going to show this cool desert scape, Thompson and Thompson are going to be driving their little Jeep across. And, you know, the ongoing thing with the mirages was annoying mm-hmm. and stupid, but yeah, also but, really pretty. Yeah, it, it was. And, and all I could think of, and again, uh, they were probably happening. Well, Popeye was probably about, you know, 20 years earlier, but just watching so many Popeye cartoons where the mirage gimmick was done 50 yeah. million times right. had me flashing back to that. And I didn't think the Popeye stuff it, it went it was, on too long there. And I think it went on too long here too. It was it was the era like quicksand, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. mirages. Yeah. Like uh, you, you thought, yeah. like if, if you if you were growing up consuming old media, you you would think that you were constantly going to be hanging off of cliffs, singing into mm-hmm. quicksand, and being tricked by mirages that looked like an entire city and all of its inhabitants fully animated until you got up close and it was just sand, right? Yeah. Yep. Uh, so, Rodrigo, what are your final thoughts on Tintin and the Land of the Black Gold, Texas Tea? Yeah, so Tintin in general doesn't do much for me. Um, there was a lot of stuff here art-wise that I really liked, and that's what I've chosen to focus on because mm-hmm. the story wasn't super interesting. It was like su- not very interesting at best and outward, you know, out and out racist at worst. Um, mm-hmm. so art wise, there's a lot of cool stuff here that I like. Like Matthew said, the cars are cool. I like when Thompson and Thompson become horrifying mutants. Um, even if it's just for like a few panels, uh, as well as lots of other stuff like the character design again, except for like the <laughs> very racist stuff is right. good. Like at this point, uh, you know, like, I don't know, 20 books in Erge has Tintin and his friends down and is able to render this world in like magnificent detail. Right. Mm -hmm. So it looks really good. Like Tintin books, especially at this point, start looking really, really good. Um, 
But, uh, you know, if if you if I'm reading this and you're like, hey, Rodrigo, I found an old issue of Turok. I'd be like, OK, get, get away from Tintin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We only do this because um, one thing it is one of those things that we can do every year on an annual basis and yeah, talk about Tintin and see. Tintin. And well, yes, which we soon will be uh, in about 14 years. Um, I don't remember how many volumes there are of Tintin, but I feel like there's 14 more volumes. Uh, so we're going to do that every year because number one, it is an annual thing, just like we do with Asterix, just like we do with uh, some of the other events that we do on the show. Uh, second thing is people want us to read European comics and people uh, tend to enjoy us talking about uh, Tintin specifically. And so that's the other reason why we keep looking at uh, Tintin. So totally. I think and I'm not I, saying that we shouldn't. No, no, no. Uh, but I, but I agree with you, Rodrigo, if you said, Hey, Steven, I, uh, you know, would you rather read a Tintin book or would you rather read uh 1940, you know, 1930s, um, slam Bradley? I'd probably pick the slam Bradley. So, um, I guess that's my final thought. It's fun. It's, in, it's interesting enough. Um, I, I want to see the creator progress more. Um, but it seems like that's only done in hindsight. Like, Oh my God, I can't believe we did this. We better change this word from, uh, you know, yeah. A horrible, horrible thing to something that's 1970s acceptable, but by today's standards, still kind of horrible. So, um, and you know, Tintin's worth checking out. Uh, I'm sure there's animated shows of Tintin that are much better than than picking I mean, up the original source material. Next volume, I think he goes to the moon. So, oh yeah, let's let's see. That can't, can't go wrong drum. at all. Can't go wrong at all. Matthew, final thoughts on the adventures of Tintin: Land of Black Gold. This is the 15th volume of 24 Tintin volumes of Bande Dessina, because my French accent is outrageous. And it's, there are a lot of times when I say to you, uh, faithful spoilerites, whether I say it here on the podcast or whether I say it in reviews that I do on Sundays, some things are worth looking at for a historical perspective. And I feel like this is a book that, definitely is worth looking at for a historical perspective, but also just to look at some really well-rendered art, to look at some pretty adventure story. And I feel like if you take too much time and if you really, you know, dig too hard into this, it does come apart. And there are a lot of points where, you know, 1939 and 1940, they just, they don't fly in 2023. So it'll knock it down a, 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 Notch or three, but I think it's worth looking at. I remember Tintin relatively fondly from when I was a kid. I don't remember what magazine it was in, but I would see a little strip and try to follow like, it. And wasn't it like family? What's that one that you read the doctor's office? Uh, I don't even know. It may have been like boy's life or, yeah, or, uh, what's the one that has gallant and digest. Oh, highlights. Yeah. Wasn't it? In I've highlights? never read an issue of highlights in my life. Okay. Um, I don't know what it was in. It was in, it wasn't Reader's Digest because it wasn't a digest size magazine, but it was something like that. It was Life or Look or, mm-hmm. I don't know, Fram or Grit or Grit. It might have yeah, been anyway. Grit. I did trade for valuable prizes, but yeah, it's worth looking into, but it's also worth noting that, you know, if you're, if you are a person who would not want to read a story that does have this kind of, uh, depiction of characters, especially characters of color, especially characters of Middle Eastern descent, avoid. 
Uh, otherwise, you know, check it out. At the worst case scenario, you can, you know, watch a dog curse at people. <laughs> yeah, you got that going for you. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for checking us out this week. And before we go, we're going to give a big shout out to everyone who supports the shows and all the shows in the Major Spoilers Podcast Network. This week, we're sending our thanks out to Corey Hughes, or Hudson and Stan Kaminsky, who both signed up as new Silver Level patrons this past week. Thank you very much, Corey and Stan. Uh, we're also sending big thanks out this week to Martin Dennis, who upped their pledge to the Gold Level status. Woohoo! Way to go, Martin. You are awesome. No matter what Rodrigo said about you last week. And dear listener, we are waiting to give you a shout out on the show. All you need to do is join us over at patreon.com slash major spoilers, where you get to check out Rodrigo and I's uh, in-depth uh, conversation about uh, watching the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings trilogies. You can only get that when you sign up at the silver level or higher at patreon.com slash major spoilers. So, this week, guys, it was Tintin's birthday. Guess mm-hmm. whose birthday we're celebrating next week? Batman. No. Elvis. No. Ernest. Uh, Cooper Barnes. Next week, we are celebrating Edgar Allan Poe's birthday by checking out Fall of the House of Usher oh, from I a Blaze Comics. Why? Because we know that you love comics and we do too. And we will talk with you soon. Fat Dick's revision of Superman. I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, they kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler What a major spoiler If I'm Stark Raven Rich like a man of iron Might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the hard cold To follow an entire storyline But would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fun Be in the Middle East With a King Santo and soldier what a major spoiler, what a major spoiler, yeah, 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 what a major spoiler, whoa, 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 what a major spoiler. This podcast is copyright 2024 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.